Welcome to The Bonfire. I am Morgan, aka Bond Diesel, and this is a podcast about video game news, speculation, rumors, and reviews. This week, I'll be covering The Division 3's announcement, Xbox's rather substantial leak, first thoughts on Lies of P and Cyberpunk 2.0, and much, much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or to just say hello. A special thank you to all of my patrons, including producer-level patrons, Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level patrons, PK, The Dawn, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, and viewer-level patron, Zenra. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 a month, please check out patreon.com slash Diesel. Gaming news, let's get into it. We have 11 topics. Uh, the first topic is not the biggest one, but it's the one I wanted to talk about the most to start off, and it's not that long. The Division 3 has been announced. So on Thursday, the 21st of September, uh, Ubisoft Massive made a tweet and had a press release that basically just said, hey, Julian Garrity, who is creative director on Division 1 and 2, and now uh, Star Wars Outlaws, uh, he, after Outlaws releases, is going to be made the uh, basically the director of the Division franchise. They also confirmed along with that that one of the games he would be kind of over would be the Division 3. Um, this was a pretty big deal and not surprising all at once for me. Um, I had a bit of a, a, a torrent of tweets uh, the day that this happened and that, that afternoon or evening um, because I've been saying for especially the last few months, but really for years, I found the video all the way back to 2020 where I was talking about uh, the Division 3. Um, I felt like this was always like going to happen eventually and that it was like an obvious thing uh, to happen one day. I wouldn't have guessed it would take this long. Um, one of the things about this announcement uh, in, in a video that Julian did recently on the Massive uh, channel is that they are building a team for the Division 3. Um, that might mean they're in pre-production. It might not, but it definitely means they are very early in the process of developing this game. And uh, some commentary I saw that this uh, is probably happening. The, 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 the Division 3 makes sense. Putting Julian uh, in charge of the whole franchise makes sense. Uh, but th this may have been a play to maybe do a little bit of uh, stock price uh, mending. <laughs> so uh, it, this is obviously an announcement that would do well with the investors uh, for Ubisoft. Uh, the Division 1 and 2 were very successful games uh, financially, and uh, the Division 2 was especially well reviewed uh, at launch. And while both of the games had kind of up and down support after launch, um, they've both been, you know, pretty well loved and, and really well respected. It's um, among the fan base, you find that there's a lot of people and maybe a vocal minority who really still sing the praises of the first game and some people who were disappointed with the second. Uh, I personally prefer, prefer the second game, even though I think they're both great. Um, but I, uh, what's unfortunately or fortunately matters more to uh, ubisoft and to some of the greater gaming public 
the, the Division 2, you know, reviewed really well when it released. It was very popular. It was very feature-rich, especially when we think about the other games uh, like Destiny 2 and, and some of the other games in a similar genre that, you know, kind of released in rough spots. Uh, the Division 2 was pretty darn good at launch, uh, despite, you know, some, some technical issues. Uh, the Division 2's issue really long-term was that they kind of obviously never intended on making it a long-term project uh, where after you know the game released and then we had a year of content and then we didn't have anything <laughs> at all for a whole year basically uh, and then they've had you know the year three and four and now we're currently in year five of content have had the season the seasonal content with manhunt and, and some of this you know interesting content um, but it's you know it, it's it's pretty good for the, uh, the for the, what they have available to make it. Uh, the the team that's done a lot of the ongoing work uh, for the Division Two has been fairly small because most of the Division Two development team went to the Star Wars Outlaws project after Warlords of New York released in 2020. So you know the Division Three exciting for me. We don't know any details about it. Uh, known details may be pretty sparse about it. They may be in the very early stages of deciding what kind of game this is even going to be, where it's going to take place. Um, the, the year five of the Division 2's content is going to wrap up in the spring. I imagine that that is going to be the springboard to wherever and whenever or and whoever the Division 3 is going to cover. Um, but I'm excited. Uh, if there was anyone yesterday who was trying to do the pessimism thing, of, oh, I don't. You know, yesterday was uh, not the day. The, the 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 reveal of the third game in the franchise. That's the only reason this podcast exists, my streaming exists, my YouTube exists. Uh, that's going to be a happy day for me, no matter what. Um, we can be pessimistic later. So I apologize if I was a bit short with anyone, but that wasn't the day to to yuck my yum. Uh, it just it's okay to every now and then just enjoy a thing and and worry about the uh the details later at least that's my opinion so division three is coming uh really excited i hope it's in chicago uh in the winter and that they ditch pvp and that we don't get more raids we get incursions instead and the DZ becomes a really dangerous co-op zone like it always should have been. Anyways, Xbox effed up really bad. And the next story, uh, Xbox leaked a ton, an absolute gigaton of information, uh, and it was their own fault. So apparently they were filing um, some, type, some type of information uh, to the FTC. Uh, they were making it available. And um, basically, they revealed hundreds and thousands and thousands of documents uh, that were obviously very confidential uh, because uh, someone didn't uh, post uh, or didn't uh, secure the link. So it seems like the way this was working is they were submitting paperwork uh, to the FTC so both sides could have access to the information and um, 
the, the link was probably supposed to be password protected or have some kind of uh, verification needed to access, uh, but someone posted it and it had zero uh, checks or, or passwords or anything. And so people obviously, you know, clicked on it when they realized what was going on and uh, saved and printed and, and have made numerous articles over uh, the last few days about the things found in that. So let's talk about some of those things that were found. Uh, Mid-gen refresh consoles. So it seems like there's going to be a new Series S and Series X, but they're not going to get like new names. This isn't going to be like the Xbox One X, where this is just going to be, it's still going to be called the Series S and the Series X. The Series S looks like it's going to basically receive internal updates only. Um, and it's also making that two terabyte console or the, the one terabyte console, uh, you know, standard. Uh, and then the Series X is interesting. Um, it's going to go to what looks to be like a cylindrical uh, form factor, uh, but that pretty much has the same hardware in it besides the disk drive. And honestly, what it looks like to me is it's probably basically the same shape and hardware and all of that of the Series X. But since they don't have to put in the disk drive, uh, it doesn't require that like boxy component. And it looks like they're just basically making a different case uh, for what the existing uh, Series X is. There there was some indication that they may be using a, a, a smaller um, CPU core, uh, but that it's expected that it's more of a efficiency thing than a power thing that they aren't. Uh, no one I've seen so far in my own reading of this material doesn't really indicate that this is supposed to be like a more powerful console, uh, that it's just going to be a smaller form factor and it's not going to have the disk drive and it's going to have a standard two terabytes of storage uh, as well as the expansion card and, and all of that fun stuff one interesting thing is that in a comparison chart uh, between all of the systems it mentions a series x and then a another series x that indicates you're going to be able to design your own Series X in their uh, game lab. Uh, so the way that with the controllers right now, you can customize your controllers pretty heavily. And it looks like they're actually going to bring that to the console as well, at least with the Series X. Um, that's really cool if you get to pick from uh, different colors and, and maybe even textures and patterns and things like that. Uh, that's going to be pretty neat. So I think uh, people are actually going to like that quite a bit. Uh, another part of this mid-gen thing is that it's expected, in, uh, which is expected in 2024, both of those consoles, is that there's also a new controller. Um, some of the reporting on this has been kind of weird. Um, the, the big notable things is that it's going to have like replaceable thumbsticks, like easily replaceable thumbsticks, that it's going to have haptics. Uh, that sounds a lot like they're going to be basically doing what the PlayStation 5 does with its uh, really good haptics and its controller. Um, there was some people talking about uh, it has like a really different shape. Um, I think it's the angle of the picture or the render of the controller that we saw. Uh, it does have like a weird thing where it looks like the like the bottom part of the controller, like what that you actually hold on to, is going to be rubberized, which creates this kind of ugly appearance where the top was white and the bottom was black. That it looks like it has like pants on its legs. Um, that also that angle also was kind of weird where it made the handle parts look like they were really long and like not as big as they are in the current controller. Um, something I pointed out in my in a podcast right or in uh, my stream where we talked about this is I showed a current Series X controller uh, and showed that if you if you look at it at an odd angle, it looks a lot different. But then if you look at it straight on, it's fine. 
I'm fairly certain this new controller is the current controller, maybe a little rounded off in places and things like that. But overall, I think it's the exact same controller, but it's going to have the haptics and stuff. I also saw some people um, kind of bemoaning that it's still going to have a battery uh, port, like a battery uh, area where you can put in double triple A's or double A batteries. Uh, and acting like that was a bad thing. Like I, that's a weird, that's like a Sony fan only thing I've ever seen. Um, I, I'm sure there's some people who put in like non-rechargeable double A's into their Xbox controller whenever it runs out. But I have to imagine the vast majority of people like myself have recharge packs. Um, Xbox sells recharge packs uh, and a recharge cord that you can charge through the, uh, the the main port on the controller. And I even got to the point where I bought a custom recharge thing where the amount of stored power is like three times more than the base controller and 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 the uh, and like the PlayStation Five. And so you know that's I, I think it's it's interesting that you see um, you know. The, the Sony controllers are obviously amazing, but like when that battery dies in there and stops working, like you can open it up and replace it, I guess. But you know that, you know, a lot of people aren't going to do that. They're just going to buy a new controller. And that's one thing I've always liked about Xbox controllers is that they have the replaceable batteries. And if you use a battery pack, one that you can recharge, it's extremely useful. Um, I believe is that these, the elite controller i think has an internal pack uh and and as great as that controller is it also has a lot of other issues so i've never bothered with getting one because i think the base controllers are awesome so looks like we're getting a slight update to those and i will probably buy one uh, another part of the leak was uh it confirmed that they at least at one point had plans for a 2028 next gen console um What's interesting about this uh, to me is that it um, it referenced this thing of being like, we're going to combine the power of the cloud and hardware to blah, blah, blah. That they've, they've been saying this stuff for many, many years. That's not going to happen, uh, at least not in any big way, uh, in my opinion. Um, the more interesting things is that they may switch their um, CPU architecture. Um, so a big deal about the the three was it the, the 360 and the PS3 is that they both use non-standard um, uh, CPUs that used a, like a like a programming architecture that was unique to them. Um, the main issue with that being that uh, the I think it was the PlayStation was the cell processor I think and. Xbox was like easy PC or something. It was some weird name um, where most computers run off uh, x86 um, uh, programming language or, or, or architecture. Um, I'm a little too dumb to fully understand all of that. But all I know is that the, the consoles being x86 as they have been in the current and last gen. So the PS4, Xbox One, PS5, Xbox Series are all x86, just like 99.9% .9 of computers. And why that's nice is that it's much easier for game developers to develop a game that will easily port between the two different platforms and PC. Uh, while they obviously still have to do work to make it make it happen, uh, you know, back in the days of the 360 and the PS3, uh, they, they essentially had to 
I don't want to say that they had to make three you know, separate games, one for PC, one for PlayStation, one for Xbox, but the porting process was just much more challenging. It also made backwards compatibility really tough uh, with, with, with both consoles. And while Xbox has you know, done a lot of work to try to figure that out, Sony has been very like not so concerned about that. So um, th- that was interesting uh, that, there's a, that there's a chance in 2028 they, they may stop using, uh, I think it's ARM based is what they would be moving to and uh, in, in ridding themselves of the x86. That also may suggest that they may stop using AMD processors and that they may uh, move to uh, ARM, who's I believe it's the company that makes them, uh, that that would be a completely different uh, you know manufacturer. Uh, something else that was really interesting that I noticed in uh, Digital Foundry's uh, coverage of this is that they list a lot of technology when it comes to like frame generation and things that really resemble the language around NVIDIA's DLSS. Uh, and what was interesting about it is it's all like stuff that you heard NVIDIA talking a lot about like four or five years ago uh, that they're talking about for a console that's still, you know, four or five years away. And why that's interesting is that... Um, as far as we know, you know, the Xbox and PlayStation are currently partnered with AMD and AMD, uh, it's hardware, it's GPUs are not, you know, at least so far, they aren't even sniffing around DLSS type technology. They're using uh, a much more rudimentary and, and easier to run uh, FSR system that uh, is just not as good as DLSS. DLSS is substantially uh, really, really good. It's a lot better. And even especially in its current state of, uh, I think it's DLSS 3.5, is just only getting more impressive and, 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 and more needed. So the implication is that there may be um, either Xbox or Sony or, or, or uh, Xbox or Microsoft might be trying to maybe do some of their own tech with their own GPUs and stuff like that, or that we could see the early stages of a potential NVIDIA partnership with Xbox, which is something I've been talking about uh, for a while. And the reason I think that is is I, I think that you're going to see Sony stick with AMD uh, for, for cost effectiveness and because it's worked for them so far. And if the next gen of consoles, the PS6 and whatever Xbox has next, if they're basically just the same console again as they are in this current generation, the PS5 and the Xbox Series uh, X, uh, you know, Microsoft's not going to set itself apart. <laughs> and so a, a really good opportunity for them to, would probably be to be uh, to make a deal with NVIDIA and kind of lock down that DLSS tech for their own console and to maybe even go towards a different uh, CPU architecture that they can really, you know, instead of just essentially having the same processor as their competitor to try to do something big and different that could backfire in a really big way. And we're going to have to wait and see how that plays out. Another part of this leak was uh, Bethesda's game release date schedule. Uh, a big note about this was that this schedule was made and from before the acquisition of Bethesda Zenimax uh, to Microsoft. And when you read through it, it's pretty apparent because it has Starfield coming out in like 2021. Uh, it has uh, it has like sequels and games we haven't even heard of yet releasing in like 2022 or this year. Uh, so 
like some some of these things can probably be written off and that you know either covid or, or other situations have have made it so these things just aren't going to happen uh, anymore uh, like a dishonored 3 is probably unlikely but maybe it's you know working along in the background and we're still yet to hear from it uh so we'll have to wait and see about that but the bethesda part of this was not really that interesting at least in my opinion uh, a slightly more interesting thing was that there was a list and a bunch of emails uh, that uh, the list was potential games that could be put on Game Pass in 2022 uh, and emails talking about and a thing that lots of people have talked about in the gaming industry and in that uh, with Starfield getting delayed and Halo Infinite not being as big of a hit as they probably anticipated, Xbox basically had a dead 2022. And so from these emails and stuff, you see that they were the kind of scrambling trying to figure out you know some stuff to put out to keep people on game pass and overall i think they succeeded uh, there's lots of really great games on game pass i've never questioned it i've always been happy to pay for it because at any given time i have more than a handful of games on my series x and even on my pc a little bit uh that i've been happy to just play that way and um and it's it's been great game pass has been awesome even when uh microsoft's first party releases have been lackluster to say the least uh, so there were a bunch of uh games that got listed in this document about this and basically saying like how much they expected to have to pay to put these games on game pass some notable ones were jedi survivor i think they were they 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 thought that they might have to pay half a billion dollars uh, to put that on Game Pass. Uh, again, you have to consider that the idea is that what happens a lot of the time with Game Pass is they basically pay for your development and then they will pay to at least offset some of the lost sales from, from people who may have bought the game but instead played on Game Pass. And uh, like, like there's no chance that Jedi Survivor cost half a billion dollars to make. It was probably like 100 mil. And so... Xbox being willing to subsidize developers like that is pretty wild. That's that's a big deal. Um, that, that was them making up to EA a lot of Survivor sales if they had made this deal. Now, they didn't, uh, and the game released like normal and did really well, even though it had issues. Uh, another notable one that everyone latched on to was Baldur's Gate 3. Um, it, they, they projected that they would have only needed to pay 5 million bucks to get... Baldur's Gate 3 day one exclusive or at least day one I don't know about exclusive on uh, the Xbox Game Pass and in hindsight they probably should have done that that probably would have been a pretty big deal for them uh, but instead they had the issues they had with it um, a, a big uh, note on that uh, the Baldur's Gate 3 thing is in the description of the game it, it notes it as a second run Stadia release um, and a bunch of sensational weirdos have turned that into like oh they're saying it's second rate if they were going to say it was second rate, they would have just said second rate. They're, they're Microsoft. They don't care. Um, and second run, from what I've found, just means that it was initially supposed to be a, a platform exclusive to Stadia. And that's where they signed all their deals. That's where that game was going to come out, at least for some time. Uh, but then Stadia obviously shut down. And so the whole idea was that, you know, if it was if it if it came to Game Pass, that would be its like second run because Game Pass wasn't its primary, uh, you know, release platform. So uh, people obviously figured out a way to take that in the worst way possible. And it was pretty lame. But here we are. 
there was a really interesting part that I'm gonna be totally honest, I wasn't, I'm not like super smart enough or knowledgeable enough to fully understand what it was saying, but it was talking a lot about profit margins and stuff like that. Um, it, that it's a big topic because Sony sells so many consoles and they sell a lot of their games and they have really good games that are very successful, but there is kind of a thought that their profit margin may be like relatively low, like in the single digits to a point, because they spend a lot of money on their games and they spend a lot of money on their hardware and they don't have like huge margins where a company like uh, Nintendo and Microsoft uh, maybe don't you know invest as much into their games and don't you know have the same intensity that that leads them to actually potentially having larger profit margins and the most interesting part about this is that you know it's you know it's it's fairly speculative but i believe it was taking from as much public info as they have that even though nintendo i, I believe made more like total money than xbox i think it was 2022 or 2021 uh, that xbox actually had more revenue because their costs were lower and so all of that stuff is really interesting to me this also came along with a part of a document that indicated that i think it was like 1.5 billion dollars or something was going to be used to subsidize uh, xbox uh, console production and sales uh, people often don't realize that that consoles don't uh, if they have a profit at all to their sales company, it's very little and that most of the money you make is from the, the items purchased for or on that console. So all of that was interesting. I definitely didn't expect um, Xbox to have that many, uh, you know, to, to be doing that well uh, profit wise, but obviously they would like to compete a little more head to head with Sony, uh, I assume. Uh, and then the last one here, um, just some various leadership or email reactions. Uh, Phil Spencer's reaction to the PS5 was interesting where he basically was like, I woke up scared. And then after seeing that presentation, I think we're fine. No, we have better hardware than that, blah, 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 blah. And I saw some people like being kind of crappy about that, but like, it's true. Like I'm fairly certain that from an objective point of view, the Series X is a more powerful console than the PS5. Now, the argument to that is that the PlayStation 5 has way better game so it doesn't really matter if it is even just a little bit less powerful if it's a platform that people prefer to play on because it has more stuff to play and i think that's a fair assessment um i i just um i i don't think uh this was as big of a deal as people wanted it to be uh phil was just being confident about the company he works for and i think that's okay uh, the other thing was a Nintendo acquisition during a email. Bill Spencer basically said something along the lines of like, my career move would be to buy Nintendo. <laughs> like, I, I think it was said at least a little bit in jest. Uh, the, the email that actually says this uh, basically also then almost immediately points out a bunch of reasons why uh, they would never be able to, to purchase, um, you know, a, a, a whole um, a whole new uh, you know, a whole other platform. It just wouldn't be realistic. And as much as I saw people trying to do the whole like, well, they would probably just leave them alone, which is probably true. They would probably allow Nintendo to continue making consoles and doing their own thing. I just, I think that um, that they are tricky uh, there and that we they that they may have made sure, Nintendo probably would have made sure they couldn't be acquired. And if they did, they would have maybe tried to like self implode or something before they would have let that happen. So um, overall, this Xbox leak was like it was it had a lot of talkable points. It 
wasn't really all that interesting if i have to be personally honest i thought that most of the stuff that was announced or revealed were things i think everyone kind of assumed were going to be a thing and um i i just don't think it was the big blockbuster story some people painted it as and uh, i especially saw some podcasters and large creators be really bad about just like basically lying about what was in this leak and uh just for the sake of trying to get a few extra clicks so oh well what are you gonna do never gonna change story number three cyberpunk 2077 2.0 patch first impressions um so my take on this is uh after playing a lot of Baldur's gate and uh starfield and some other games you know over the last couple of years i figured i would kind of touch base with um cyberpunk again and i hadn't played since last year around this time and uh when i played before the patch i was like pretty disappointed it was like man this game feels a lot more dated than i thought it would its graphics don't really look as good as i hoped they would and and then i remembered oh yeah the 2.0 patch is coming and so i waited for that and i fired that up and like it's better in a lot of ways i like how uh it things just work like the inventory system just the ui in general has been tightened up quite a bit and it's pretty good but i um i just i i don't i still think that cyberpunk 2077 is just the okayest game ever um it's not the big sprawling you know interactive rpg they kind of promised it would be um it's like a pretty good action game uh its story is fine its characters are okay it's very pretty and it has some good animations and stuff um you know i i just i think it's pretty overrated personally i i don't i don't, I don't think it's really that good i find it to be a pretty dead world that looks like it's just like all the civilians are just kind of zombies walking around like they don't you know there doesn't seem to be any agency or anything really interesting happening there but um you know it's it's a it's a good update it's getting closer and closer to what the initial state of starfield probably should have been all these years later and so we'll have to wait and see uh how that plays out Lies of P review roundup. Lies of P is a Souls-ish game that uh, it has ended up with a 82 average Metacritic score across all the platforms. Um, my thoughts on this are probably not super unexpected. Um, I jumped into this. It's very pretty. It's very responsive. It's a pretty fun game to play. Um, I just you cannot get me to give a crap about any like Souls-like game. I just do not care. I cannot care. The first time I get killed by some random event or something silly that doesn't feel like I should have died, uh, I basically just gave up. <laughs> so, um, sorry for any you know huge uh, Liza P fans, but it just wasn't for me. I think it's a game that is like a solid game that when people retrieve them, that uh, re that when 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 people kind of like re retrieve their save and and kind of get back into uh, you know when they get into this type of genre uh you know they, they kind of retrieve those old memories of dark souls and all those games they've played and i think i think it's really going to hit that niche really hard and people are going to love it who are into those games uh but i don't think it's it's going to be for me i i played it for a little bit found myself to be very frustrated and annoyed deleted it and now i'm going to play like animal party or whatever that new game is okay we're going to take a quick break and i will be right back Okay, we're back, and uh, my next topic is talking about, um, I made a video this week about gaming romances. Now, 
it kind of got snuffed out by the Division 3 news, uh, even by a Mass Effect video I also made um, about a interview from 2012 with Patrick Weeks, one of the writers at BioWare, uh, and that had a bunch of points that it seems like people just forgot things that are probably canon to Mass Effect. So go check out those videos on YouTube uh, and check out this video where I talked about gaming romances. And what I did is I talked about my experiences with uh, Mass Effect, Cyberpunk 2077, Starfield, and Baldur's Gate 3, and how all of those games romances kind of have strengths and weaknesses, how altogether they would make like a super romance game, and how um, Starfield is actually better than I thought, especially after getting back into Baldur's Gate 3, after dabbling uh, and getting back into Cyberpunk 2077. Um, something I think is really interesting is like Mass Effect still holds up really well, even though its relationships are, you know, not, you know, very expansive and, and, and kind of on rails to a point that uh, they're still just very satisfying to take part in. Uh, someone like myself who kind of plays as like, I'm controlling that character. I don't necessarily consider myself the player character. Um, it's just a fun, it's like watching a movie, you know? And, um, you know, Mass Effect still does so good. Um, Cyberpunk is really weird. It's Cyberpunk is very much like the rest of the game where it's like it's a lot of really good flash and it's also still kind of like shallow as a puddle. We're like, like Pan Am, uh, there's only four romances. It's really interesting how many people dogged how few romances are available in Starfield who probably didn't dog Cyberpunk for the exact same problem, that there's almost no romances in Cyberpunk. And the ones that are there, you know, you, you do them and they're cinematic and there's some cool moments and you kind of have to earn it, you know, at least with like Pan Am. Um, but then like, you, you, it's just basically a quest line where like, the romances and you know the other three games aren't they 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 are like they span multiple different quest lines and they have different ways for them to kind of initiate and actually fulfill and stuff like that where you know cyberpunk it's just it's literally just a quest line um and that's fine and they you know have the the very graphic scenes and stuff like that like if that's what you prioritize but like you finish you know, Pan Am's romance, and then she just f's off. <laughs> like, uh, she, I, I believe that she, her character, she will like text your phone, and I think there's even some like racy things that can happen. But basically, that's it. There's like phone calls and text, and then there's the end of the game where that can kind of be reunited to a point. But like, you know, like with Mass Effect, your love interest, you can, you know, depending on which game and who they are, you can they can pal around with you and have some fun lines during missions and blah blah blah. You know, Baldur's Gate three. You know, in the same capacity, they, you know, they, they are with you all the time. You can talk to them in the middle of whatever. It's, you know, uh, you know, fairly interactive and, and, and it's not very fleeting. And then even Starfield is like that. You know, not everyone loves the romances in Starfield. I thought the Sarah romance was actually pretty interesting. And, um, you know, if, if you're if you're not worried about seeing like a, you know, softcore uh, P.O.R.N., you know, uh, you know, Starfield is definitely not providing that for you, at least not until the modders get on it. Um, I think the actual like dialogue relationship you can have in starfield is as good as any of the other three games now the animations the graphics all of that you know you know are up and down in starfield and maybe that's not as satisfying but um i thought it was really interesting um what i came away with was mass effect relationships uh, relationship systems still hold up pretty well uh cyberpunk 2077 has some really good flash but it's not very satisfying in the long run 
uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is probably the most well-rounded to a point uh, and have some really satisfying like romantic moments and and kind of, you know, spans the whole game and it's pretty cool the way it works. Uh, and then Starfield is surprisingly good when it comes to that. So uh, I don't know. I just think it's a fun thing to talk about. I'm really curious to how games uh, change that or enhance it in the future, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Unity, right before I record this podcast on Friday afternoon, uh, just announced that they're kind of changing some stuff up. Uh, from my previous uh, podcast, you'll know that they basically made everyone mad by putting in fees for every time a player installs a game or just doing a bunch of shady stuff. Uh, it seems like the main thing they did in this pullback was basically say they upped the amount of money that would have to be made to qualify for these fees. And they basically, uh, I believe... Uh, said that once you qualify for those fees, uh, it's either um, you, know, you get charged per install uh, or 2.5% of a revenue share, whatever is cheapest for the developer is what they will pay. Um, and then they said that the, the info this will be based on is completely self-reported, I believe, by the developer. It's just so weird, like even their initial plan that may may have been designed to fail so that they could pull back and still leave some of the stuff in there. But like they still seem like they don't have a way to actually know how much in, they, they should charge anyone. Um, you know, maybe they do from revenue because that's a fairly static number. But like it seems like even at this point, they still don't have any ability to know how many people install a game. And they're just purely trusting the the developers and studios to report that accurately, which like most of them will because they have integrity and stuff. But like it's just such an odd choice they've made here. And this saga seems like it's going to kind of continue on uh, at least for a little bit longer. And like I think I said last week. I think they'll bump back and, you know, there are a lot of devs that use Unity. There's a lot of devs that are dependent on Unity. Um, and then there's, you know, a lot of projects that are pretty far in that can't really just switch at the last minute. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the next 10 years, you know, five, 10 years, you see, you know, maybe some competitors rise up a bit more, you know, Unreal stake, maybe, you know, rise up as well, depending on your, uh, whether you think that's a good thing or not is up to you. And uh, I, I think Unity can recover somewhat, but probably semi-permanently kind of screwed themselves over. Oh, we had an announcement this week that Criterion Games has joined EA Entertainment. Uh, Criterion, uh, the, the makers of Burnout and things like that, obviously most of those devs are not there anymore. Uh, but the, the notable thing about this is that apparently they are going to be mostly working on Battlefield. Um, Criterion was already an EA studio, but they were under EA Sports, making the racing games and things like that. And they, they were probably doing support studio stuff for other studios. And now we know that they are officially under EA Entertainment, which which is, you know, the battlefields and, and you know, the single player games uh, and things like that. And and I believe the, the press statement basically said that they will be working on Battlefield, which they've done before. So um, that's exciting, I guess. I'm glad Criterion still exists. Uh, I, I think a lot of people lament that they aren't making their own games anymore and that people wish they could. Uh, in a surprising but not really story glenn schofield is leaving stri uh, striking distant studios less than a year after the callisto protocol released and flopped um this was an interesting one because i remember in 20 uh 2022 during i think it was the game awards 
uh, Glenn Schofield going on to, he's, uh, was one of the creators of like dead space when he was at EA and then he left and tried to do his own studio. And now he's leaving that studio. He just created, uh, as well as a bunch of the other execs and kind of flipping them the bird in my opinion. Um, I remember he went on to Jeff Keighley's, I think it was summer game fest and like basically just slobbered over Jeff for like five minutes and barely talked about his game and just talked about how great Jeff is. And like, it was so gross and so weird. And then this game showed and like when it first showed, I remember being like, oh, this looks pretty cool. This looks like looks like Dead Space. Uh, and then the more and more they showed, I was like, man, this seems like you mostly just punch these things and hit them with sharp weapons. And, you know, the best thing about Dead Space, in my opinion, are the guns and dismemberment and all that. And, you know, then Callisto Protocol came out. It seemed like people like tried to really enjoy it and then it just didn't hit and they all just gave up. And uh, and, you know, Glenn Schofield, you know, is leaving now, even though he just built the studio from scratch. And most of these people probably came to work for him and now he's bouncing on them. So I think it's a pretty lame move. I think he uh, is just trying to bounce and try to probably save a bunch of money and uh, to pass off the issues at that studio uh, to someone else. And that kind of seems like it's what's happening. So that's a big bummer. You hate to see that, um, that at least right now, there's no indication that the studio is going to shut down. But without Schofield, I, I mean, it seems like he was kind of the DNA of that studio. I'd be pretty surprised if they continue on much longer uh, and, and those devs don't just try to find maybe a more consistent job. Uh, sea of stars first impression man i fired that thing up played about 30 minutes of it and said nope <laughs> um I, i'm not really into that art style of games i know that's a popular thing for some people it's not for me um i just i i just can't get into another turn-based really long rpg i just can't do it Baldur's gate 3 is the only game i'm willing to sacrifice that to right now so maybe one day i'll check out sea of stars uh this first impression was just not very good and I'm perfectly happy to not be playing it. Uh, there's lots of other things to play. Uh, the final thing is uh, here is just a, a personal announcement for the, the podcast and for anyone listening. Um, I will be doing a in seven day 2023 uh, giveaway. Um, I have three sets of prizes. They'll all be the same set. Uh, you'll get a Blasto figure uh, of the, uh, you know, the Blasto fame, an N7 car badge, N7 coffee mug, N7 glass, and N7 stein. Uh, like I said, I'll be picking three winners. Uh, the contest will, will start a week before N7 day, so it should be on the first. Uh, and then we'll end a week after, uh, I believe, on the 14th. And so you'll have a couple weeks to enter the giveaway. Um, uh, the prizes are also going to include a Mass Effect Legendary Edition uh, of your choice of platform. So um, be on the lookout for that. I'm excited to uh, do that giveaway. Um, you can check out my, uh, I would I suggest following uh, either my YouTube and or my uh, Twitter account. Uh, they're both under Bond Diesel. This is where we normally do listener questions. I'm recording this a few hours earlier than I normally do. So I think people uh, didn't really have time to give their questions. If they give them uh, later, I will uh, respond to them next week. Uh, but you know, next week, if you want me to answer anything or talk about any topics or even just speculate about some stuff, uh, be sure to check out my Discord where I have a whole room just for answering questions on the podcast. I also have a Google form that's linked on my Twitter and on the Discord uh, and on Twitter. I 
post uh, every Thursday or Friday uh, asking for questions, topics, things like that. So you can give me your thoughts on any of those and I'll be more than happy to talk about whatever you want me to comment on uh, within reason. And that's where I'm going to wrap up this slightly shorter episode than, than other recent ones. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have any feedback or thoughts or advice, I'm happy to take it. Uh, you know, this podcast is slowly growing, uh, which is actually really exciting. And it uh, seems like you all liked uh, the, these episodes releasing on Saturday morning a lot more than Monday morning. So it's cool seeing more people showing up. And um, I just I really appreciate it. This is a fun project for me. You know, we're getting we're over 250 episodes now. Um, I'm really proud of this and I'm really proud of you for listening. Uh, you can find me all over the Internet as Bond Diesel, including on uh, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and over on Twitch, where I stream a couple times a week and uh, love to talk about these same topics uh, more in a live action setting. Uh, if you want to support my content, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Bond Diesel. There's some perks over there. You can subscribe over at Twitch where you get some emotes and some fun stuff there. Uh, as well as a special uh, name in the Discord, by the way, a special category. Uh, And you can also use your Amazon Prime sub there. I would very much appreciate it. Uh, Or you can click uh, on the link in the description below and find my merch store where I think I have some simple but kind of nice merch. I highly suggest the coffee mug. That's all I have for this one. So until next time. I'm going to go to the next one. 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 I